Hello friends, welcome back to the AirPod, back at it again with another week of Royal News. Maggie, are you ready for this one? Because I'm quite exhausted. Oh man, was it a, was it a week or like a year? I feel like so much happened this week. I, I'm going to need you to be my caffeine boost. It's, it's been a long, it's been a long <laughs> week. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to start it off by just saying something I learned this week that is not Royals related, but it is a caffeine boost. I learned just today that the British have a term full of beans. <laughs> of course you know I this do. Term? Yeah, but I don't know I don't, I don't know the backstory. This is not a term it. in is America. I don't know I actually don't know the backstory either. All I know is Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, used it when he was talking about how he's lost weight and is trying to encourage others to lose weight. And he says, I'm full of beans now. And I as an American thought he literally was on a bean <laughs> diet and was like full of beans. And that's my interpretation. And then I start. I was on air saying this, and they were like, "No, no, no! It's like yes. he's full of energy." That's what it's sort of like. We often talk so about anyway, in good spirits on this <laughs> podcast, but full of beans is is um, in high spirits. Yeah. It's like the maximum. Yeah, high spirits. <laughs> So, Omid, I am here to deliver the full beans for you today. I'm not sure quite that, if that's quite how one uses it, but well, I'll take it. Well, I have been full of beans this week, but I'm also trying to chill out because, you know, it has been quite the week for Royal News. Um, my anxiety definitely rises when the stories get a little negative. I always get this ball in my stomach. I don't. People might think that Royal Correspondents enjoy when it gets dramatic and maybe maybe they do but not for me in fact i i have my podcast loaded i've got my my audiobooks on deck i'm trying to have my zen moments and you know i'm also trying to learn at the same time and you know here on the airpod we often talk about royal wives um and i would say royal wives first ladies have always been sort of a source of fascination around the world and certainly in the US since the days of George and Martha Washington. But, you know, for every Jackie Kennedy, um, whose life has obviously been chronicled heavily over the years, um, there are also others that contribute to or have gone without that kind of recognition. And so I've been listening to the story of Lady Bird Johnson, who is one of them. And, you know, our colleagues here at ABC News uh, just launched a new podcast, In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson. It's just uh, come out. It's available on all podcast platforms. It kind of tells the story of her life and the influence that she's had on American politics in, you know, large part through her audio diaries. A lot of them haven't been heard for the same time. And I'm pretty gripped. Yeah, I love this, Oma, because it's kind of like she was almost the original podcaster, like the OG podcaster, because they used over 123 hours of Lady Bird's daily audio diaries. So this is really, you know, her story in her own voice. And what's been interesting is that you think you know history, and then to hear it portrayed in this way, it's actually been really surprising. And it comes across as a totally original portrait of this former first lady and one that we've never really seen before. Well, I think if you haven't dived into the world of Lady Bird Johnson before, and listen, I think for me, it was a lot of new information. But apparently, I've spoken to some of my friends, one of my friends is actually listening to this at the moment, uh, who is American, um, and also feels like they knew 
pretty much nothing that's that's in it there's i think there's a, a couple of episodes mm. available already and uh, there's six more episodes in the weeks coming along and they're going to sort of showcase johnson's involvement in her husband's administration touching on her relationships with historical figures from the era f- including everyone from jfk to eartha kit so it's definitely worth checking out Wow, really cool. I'm so excited for that. Uh, Well, if you guys want to listen, uh, you can search for In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson, wherever you're listening just right now. And we're also going to leave a link for you guys in the episode description. So definitely worth uh, checking out. Yeah, so you know what I'll be doing when we finish this. (laughs) But back to the news, of course, uh, alongside every queen is also a dutiful husband. And we have, of course, Mm. been very much been thinking about Prince Philip this week, who approaches his third weekend in hospital. But there has been progress. Of course, uh, I think just as we recorded Mm -hmm. the last episode, we had heard that he had been moved to a different hospital in London to be treated for pre-existing heart condition. Of course, since then, we've had further updates from the palace. And I want to preface this by saying it's not often we get this many health updates from the palace. You know, usually the sort of medical history and health information about members of the royal family Mm. is kept under lock and key. The palace is usually very hesitant to comment in situations like this so I've I found it really interesting and refreshing in some ways to get such candid updates from the palace about Prince Philip's health I think that probably says a lot about how many people across the country and around the world as we've seen have been worried for him you know he's so close to his 100th birthday and I think people would really love to see him celebrating Mm. that that's such good perspective. I didn't realize that this the frequency of updates was rare because they, they were fairly brief. But, you know, I think, like you said, there were so many eyes on it. We saw him earlier this week uh, be transported to a different hospital. And I remember sitting in the newsroom and all of a sudden everyone was running around because there were ambulances outside the hospital he was staying in and they were being hidden by umbrellas. And, you know, there was lots of speculation about what was happening. And, of course, when speculation starts, you know, the rumors run wild, and so it was good. The palace really updated people. You know, we know he was brought to another hospital that specializes in uh, cardiac issues and cardiac surgery. And the palace announced that you know he underwent a surgery to help deal with a pre-existing condition in his heart. And uh, learning things like that, I think, are helpful for people to know what's going on. And you know, we now know he has since uh, left that hospital, gone back to a different hospital to recover. And they say he's going to be recovering for a few more days still. You know, oh my, this is, you know middle of his third week now in the hospitals. So that's a long time for anyone, let alone someone who's 99. Yeah, we're approaching another weekend. And, you know, as you said, he came from St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London and he's now back at the King Edward Seventh. And I was talking to someone earlier today, you know, Prince Philip is someone, he's sort of the action man of the royal family. He was known for sort of being the one that wants to be out there keeping his hands dirty and busy all the time. And, you know, that's why, if you remember back to the car accident incident, he was literally riding his horse and carriage around Wood Farm within days of getting home because he doesn't like to be cooped up. And so I'd imagine he's very frustrated spending this long in hospital and so isolated too because the visitor policies as we've seen, have been quite strict. In fact, whilst he was staying at Bath- St. Bartholomew's Hospital for his minor procedure, uh, they had a very strict visitor policy, so no one was able to go and visit him. But it wouldn't surprise me if we see someone else from the royal family, perhaps uh, Prince William visiting hmm. his grandfather this weekend. And you make a good point. I didn't think of that, but that has to be very scary for the whole family as well, to know that 
you know, someone's someone who loves in the hospital at that age or at any age getting a surgery in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And so and to do mm-hmm. it on a public forum, um, I mean, and to do it during this week of sort of wild twist and turns in royal news. Um, it's just there's a lot that's been happening. Yeah, this is really this has been a story that's really been the backdrop to a very dramatic week. Uh, we knew that this week would be interesting. We're obviously in the run-up to that big special with Oprah Winfrey that Harry and Meghan did earlier in February. And we got to see the first previews from that uh, just a couple of days after the last episode. Very little was said by Harry and Meghan in this special, <laughs> but that didn't stop the entire world from talking. Were you silent or were you silenced? I just want to make it clear to everybody, there is no subject that's off limits. Almost unsurvivable. Sounds like there was a breaking point. My biggest concern was history repeating itself. You've said some pretty shocking things here. Wait, hold hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, what an interesting look, first look at that special. And I remember when, you know, I got the email in my in my inbox with the with the subject was like preview of Oprah, Oprah, <laughs> Meghan and Harry special. And it was like I had already got in bed at this point. Um but I it, it's very rare as a royal correspondent that your heart actually races <laughs> on a story. <gasps> You're like, how fast fast can I open this? Yeah, you know, it was, and I think this is, look, this is something that people have been looking forward to for a long time. They've wanted to hear Harry and Meghan's story and they're they're finally getting to hear it in their own words. And, you know, a lot of people question the timing of this. You know, as I said earlier on, you know, the backdrop of this week has been Prince Philip still being in hospital. And, you know, I've seen that pointed out in in a lot of the commentary. But, you know, we have to remember that this was something that the couple had agreed to do before uh, Philip was even unwell or taken into any kind of care. And it was really off the back of Harry and Meghan winning their privacy lawsuits and copyright infringement case against the Mail on Sunday, which has had its own developments this week. We heard that the, the Mail on Sunday had uh, applied to the judge to appeal. That was rejected. This is a, an all-out win for Harry and Meghan, but it was that win that propelled them into almost the next day, in fact, it was the next day, to tell Oprah, we're doing this. Yeah, Oman, what's also interesting is that one we just heard, where we actually don't really hear from Megan, yet somehow don't you feel Megan? Even though you you don't hear her, you feel her in that clip with Oprah. Um, But we did hear from Harry and, you know, what he had to say echoes some of what we've heard him say before. He references his mother. He references history not repeating itself. But, you know, he did it in a way that was so vulnerable and candid this time. You know, for me, I'm just really relieved and happy to be sitting here talking to you with my wife by my side. Because I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself all those years ago, because it has been unbelievably tough for the two of us, but at least we had each other. Yeah, Yeah, this is something that we've heard Harry talk about before. You know, I think that uh, growing up and witnessing his mother really take on some of those really difficult challenges with 
the British tabloids and particularly the paparazzi at the time. And one of the reasons why he felt so compelled to take action when he faced, as he says, his wife uh, potentially having a similar future. And, you know, this is what it's really been all about. It's been about him protecting his family, creating that safe space for them to thrive in. And, you know, I think people ask often ask, you know, why is it that Harry and Meghan want to do this? What do they want to get out of it? And I think it's just some understanding. You know, we, and I include myself in this, we've spent the last three or four years talking about them. But the last time they've spoken to us, or and by us I mean the world, is when they sat down to do their engagement interview with the BBC in 2017. That was a long time ago. A lot has happened since then and you know I think people would uh, they would like for people to have a better understanding of who they are and why they made the decisions that they did and so to have a place in which they can share that without any interruptions and be completely candid and be able to trust the person that they're talking to I think it comes as no surprise that it was Oprah that they picked I can't I mean I can't think of anyone else that's in their circle that would have been more appropriate for it Except for the AirPod, but whatever, we're over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, this is a much lighter question, Omid, but during those clips, we also got a glimpse of this beautiful interview setup. And, you know, at first, I think there were some rumors that it was their home, but now we know for certain it's not either of their homes, right? It's not Megan or Harry's, nor is it Oprah's. Yeah, it's a friend of the couple's yeah. or a mutual friend of the couple and Oprah's in the same, I think, in Santa Barbara, so very mm. close to where they were. I would imagine that there was probably an, an issue of having crews and cameras and obviously having yeah. a child at home, perhaps, I'm just guessing, is why they didn't want to film it at their house. I mean, there's still so much <laughs> we don't know about what will be in the special. Yeah. Um, but I too thought that it was actually going, going to be filmed in their garden and I was sort of marveling at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> analyzing every detail at first. Um, what a whoever, gardener. Whoever did that set, though, props. It's a, it's yeah, a beautiful yeah. setting. <laughs> okay, so Omid, we had these two really blockbuster clips come out, but we want to do a TikTok of the week. So, w- what came next? So, on the Monday, we really spent the day trying to pick up as many clues as we could from those previews. It was very little and it kind of amused me at just how much hysteria came from Meghan's one word, which was simply, yeah, in response to Harry. Uh, but it was enough to, I think, get everyone excited and certainly over here, perhaps a little rattled. Um, but I think there were immediately things to unpack within those clips. Of course, Meghan wearing uh, an outfit that, of course, had significant meaning. And uh, our friend, Victoria Murphy, ABC News contributor, Um, had a really interesting article in Town & Country magazine about uh, the decision to wear the Armani dress. And now listen, fashion is not my... Women's fashion is not my forte. Um, But I did know that it was an Armani dress. But um, the article here points out to it featuring an embroidered lotus flower on the right-hand side of the dress. And apparently Meghan really... um, the meaning of the lotus flower struck a chord with Megan, that it's a flower that's associated with the rebirth and spiritual enlightenment. Um, and it's also a flower that's incredibly resilient uh, in very challenging conditions. Um, and this article quotes another article 
about the significance of that. It says, with its roots latched into mud, it submerges every night into river water and miraculously reblooms the next morning, sparklingly clean. Now, if that's not a message about that experience that they had had as working members of the royal family, I don't know what is. Definitely gives us a glimpse into the theme and the mood, I think, of the interview as well. Yeah, but unfortunately we didn't have much time to think about the rest of it because it wasn't long until (laughs) on Tuesday that the Times of London dropped their front page featuring very serious, very real allegations against the Duchess of Sussex, accusing her of bullying staff whilst they were working at Kensington Palace. So this was the period of 2018 and 2019. And, you know, the the article, which really went into a, a lot of depth, there were a lot of source quotes, there was a lot of different voices in the story, Um, really went on to describe the experiences of two female members of staff who had, uh, in in their words, experienced bullying whilst working with Meghan and a third member of staff who felt their confidence shaken because of working with Meghan. Now, I'd add more, but the pieces did miss what I felt was a crucial, crucial piece of information, which was actual evidence or examples to sit alongside the accusations that are being made because now firstly I'll, I'll preface this I think anyone's experience at work should be heard and it's important that if these are allegations that are made that they are heard and that the, 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 the individuals are listened to but it is a very pointed word and I think you said this earlier Maggie to use the word bullying because I didn't recognise a bullish atmosphere in the article that I read. Yeah, I think that word is so important, Omid, especially when Megan is someone who has, you know, been very vocal about the bullies that she's faced in her life as well. So to sort of throw that word back in her face seems very pointed, right? You could have chosen a lot of words, and I think choosing the word bully was um, a deliberate decision. Uh, But I I also agree with you that, you know, allegations need to be taken seriously and need to be followed up on. And, you know, I think if uh, I'm sure that, you know, Harry and Meghan would even support that. If none of that is true, then they would want to sort of get to the bottom of this and why people felt a certain way. I also think what's interesting, Omid, to consider, and, you know, we heard a lot of this, um, you know, our our colleagues at The View, which is an American talk show, took a very um, public stance on this uh, on TV in America as well. This attitude of, you know, what's being a hardworking woman in the workforce versus what's being a bully and how is that compared, you know, across genders and across cultures. And some of the examples that have been given in the past of, you know, people claim Megan woke up early and sent emails and demanded a lot of her staff and was constantly asking for things. I mean, some of that just sounds like someone who is passionate and works hard and cares about what they're doing. And I think a lot of people would support that. And I would also question, uh, I'm sure, in a high-stress, hardworking atmosphere, a lot of people demand a lot of their staff. And, you know, Megan's probably, if, if, you know, some of these um, thoughts of her being demanding are true, she's probably not the first person in that position to be demanding of their staff. And so, you know, I do think the, the tone and the wording and the timing are also, you know, something to be considered in addition to the actual allegations as well. Yeah, you know, when you strip it away, I think Megan has already been accused of many of these things 
in the past. In fact, we saw stories sort of pushing towards some of these claims even a few years ago. Um, you know, I have my own personal experience of uh, sort of working alongside and getting to know many of the people that the couple worked with uh, during their time as working members of the royal family. Yes, I, of course, I heard stories about people being stressed and on edge and completely frazzled by the work environment because this was a, a time when uh, staff often felt caught between the Sussexes and the institution of the monarchy. But at the same time, that doesn't feed into a bullying narrative. And it's certainly not one that was ever expressed to me or shared with me mm. over those years. And I've seen different iterations of those teams around them over the years. So I find it very interesting. It's impossible to not question the timing of this. You know, we're talking about incidents that allegedly happened, you know, 2018. This is a few years ago now. We are now days away from what is arguably the most important moment uh, in, in Harry and Meghan's mm. sort of new chapter to be able to actually sit down and share their side of the story. Is this a response simply to try and get ahead of that, to undermine mm. the couple's voices or certainly Meghan's voice before she says whatever it is that she does say? And then it has been also interesting to see the response, as you said, in the UK compared to the US. I think in the US there is a desire to hear what Meghan has to say. People are ready to hear it. You know, she's one of your own in the House of Windsor and she's had a difficult time uh, going through it when she was living over here. People want to hear more about that. People are ready to, to learn the truth. Over here in the UK, there has in certain sections of society been a resistance to almost not want to hear what it is that the couple say, because it dares to question the institution of the monarchy or things at least that go on within it. Yeah, it's interesting that culture clash, which, you know, I think on one hand, the cultures are so similar, but then there are certain moments when the differences are really brought to light. And, and you know, even um, the sources within that Times article, they say very, you know, they're very upfront with the timing. They say you know, they wanted these allegations out there ahead of the interview to show you know, what they thought was this side of Megan. And I think being so upfront and, and really, it seems like the sources really feel like this is what was going on and this is what they saw and this is what they want the world to see. Um, you know, it's interesting. People always want to share their side of the story, but sometimes there are multiple sides and it depends sort of what your perspective is and what your cultural background is. And so I'm gonna be, it, it'll be really um, interesting to see the fallout from this and uh, you know, if people come forward with allegations, if they're taken seriously, if they're investigated, uh, what Meghan and Harry are going to do in response. And, and also, you know, if people interpreted the same actions differently. Um, I, I think that there could be a risk that some actions were perceived in one way when they were meant in another. The night that that story broke, because um, of course the, the front pages come out the night before, I actually stayed up quite late to speak with a few individuals uh, on, on the other side of the pond um, to, to get their take on it. And, you know, these are people that, that certainly know the couple and definitely Megan very well. And one of Megan's friends who at the time wanted to speak on the condition of an, an anonymity 
sort of had their own take on the situation. I'm just going to read it word for word. But she said, I hate to say it, but find me a woman of colour in a senior position who has not been accused of being too angry, too scary, too whatever in the workplace. It's sad that it's happening, but I'm not surprised. These claims are so far from the woman I know. And, you know, it does, I think it, it, it does set up a very important conversation that does need to be had. I think women often in the workplace are accused of things that men would never be. And women of colour are sort of tenfold more likely to face accusations like that. And so there's a, there's a lot here. And I think that even with these allegations, now that we've heard them, we still need to hear the couple's side of the story. We also heard from Harry and Meghan's spokespeople as well. You know, they call it the latest attack on Meghan's character. And they said that she was saddened by this uh, bullying accusation. They called it uh, the latest attack on her character, particularly as someone who's been the target of bullying herself and is deeply committed to supporting those who have experienced pain and trauma. She is determined to continue her work building compassion around the world and will keep striving to set an example for doing what is right and doing what is good. So uh, I guess they've tried to make it as half glass full as possible, but it is unfortunately a very ugly situation and one that, as we'll talk about in a second, only got worse the following day on the Wednesday when Buckingham Palace put out their own statement to every media organisation in the world uh, to announce that they would be investigating the bullying claims against Meghan. And I feel like that's when things really ramped up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, we, we all knew there would be responses, but to have Buckingham Palace, you know, kind of the the leader of the royal family, I mean, the, the queen, right? Like, this is, like, the top. Um, come out with a statement, it really all of a sudden seemed like, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to even use this word, but it was almost like war had broken out, right? I mean, all of a sudden you had like shots being fired from either side, and um, I often you often find yourself caught in the middle, like you have to choose. When in reality, you know, I think you can say that this investigation has to happen, but also uh, people should. Uh, you know, understand that there are certain stereotypes and prejudices that may make people react a certain way to Megan, and those should not be allowed either. And it's a delicate, complicated situation. Yeah, you know, this it was unprecedented to get this statement from the palace because we're used to an organization that keeps a lot of the inner workings private. And so to share with the entire world news of an internal HR investigation was really surprising to me because you know listen a lot goes on behind the scenes at the palace if the you know there are certainly these aren't the first stories about staff feeling uh, emotional or battered and bruised by their experience of working for a member of the royal family or within the institution itself in fact there have been at times I've been told by people who've even worked there that it has been sometimes a very unpleasant place to be. Um, but this statement was, it was, it felt odd to me because for such a private institution who has kept quiet on matters such as the allegations surrounding Prince Andrew, you know, we never had any statements about the ongoing developments with that. When you ask the palace even today, 
about Andrew's lack of cooperation or continued lack of cooperation with the FBI on their investigations, you will either receive no response or be told no comment. So here they are saying, we are clearly very concerned about allegations in the Times following claims made by former staff of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And they go on to say that their HR team will look into the circumstances and that members of staff involved at the time, including those who have left the household, will be invited to participate to see if lessons can be learned. They even go on to talk about their dignity at work policy that's been in place for a number of years and does not and will not tolerate bullying or harassment in the workplace. It really goes up against what we will hear Harry and Meghan talking about on Sunday because they made it very clear when they were working members of the royal family that they wanted to compl- make a proper complaint about the internal leaks that were ending up within certain sections of the British media, private information, inaccurate information, information that made the couple not look good. Mm. And this was something they felt that they were constantly up against. And so for the palace now to be addressing a major problem internally, I think to them probably looks a little unbalanced. That's really interesting. It is sort of this big elephant in the room, right? I'm sure Harry and Meghan are looking at this and saying, where was this dignity at work policy when we were working members of the royal family? You know, why are you standing up for it now and not when we were asking for it last year? And I think, like you said, that's going to be a large part of what we hear on Sunday. And, and, you know, I also think the point you make with Prince Andrew is so important. That is something that I've heard constantly in American media, especially, you know, pretty much just this talking line of saying, uh, we don't care about you investigating Meghan until you investigate Prince Andrew. Case Mm. closed. And I think that is something that's hanging over the palace right now. And a lot of people are just sort of fed up with um, the response to Meghan, Harry and Meghan, when they have this other legitimate, huge legal case that seems to often get brushed under the rug. Yeah. Well, we certainly got an little glimpse at how Harry and Meghan feel about this kind of thing when uh, we received another preview yeah. clip from the <laughs> Oprah special, this time with Meghan talking to Oprah about the perpetuated falsehoods that they mm. continually dealt with as members of the royal family. How do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today? I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time, we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us. And if that comes with risk of losing things, I mean, I've there's a lot that's been lost already. It's incredible to see the back and forth that's yeah. going on at the moment. Um, when really the, the, the sort of what's coming back from the Sussex's side is simply uh, more clips from the <laughs> upcoming special. You know, the whole situation, and I've heard others say this as well, it reminded me of your sort of classic oppo dump in the final stages mm. of a presidential election where, oh, you're you know, so right. the, the opposition sort of dumps everything wow. in the file they yeah, can find yeah. and the kitchen sink throws Mm -hmm. it at their opponent in the hopes to discredit them and that something will (laughs) stick. And it's felt a little bit like that this week. Mm. You know, I think two things from this clip in particular um, that struck me. One is that, you know, I had to remind myself 
that this interview was filmed well before those Palisades came forward with this information about the alleged HR complaint in 2018. Yet the clip that they chose to play, it sounds as if Megan is responding to the recent leak of information, doesn't it? When she talks about, you know, the, the lies and discrediting information, you would think that she's responding specifically to that leak of information when in reality this was well before. So I think that also speaks to a history and legacy of uh, the culture of what she feels she was living in. Um, and then also, Omid, I'm curious your take on this because I think you know the phrase that was pulled out of this clip that's also getting a lot of press is that Megan referred to the royal family as the firm. And that's something you know we have heard before, but maybe not in such a public interview. Yeah, it, it was definitely a phrase that stood out to me. I've mm. obviously spent a lot of time really trying to get to the bottom of some of the issues that they faced within the institution of the monarchy. And I call it the institution of the monarchy because that is where their problems mm. lied. And in fact, Harry and Meghan both have a brilliant ability to differentiate the two. There's the institution of the monarchy. That's the machine mm. that sort of runs behind the scenes, uh, really keeping the, the, in, the, the establishment going. And then you have the royal family themselves, which are, of course, the family members yeah. that we talk about here every week. And I think for, for Harry and Meghan, they've always been able to understand the difference between the two. You know, for Harry, he's grown up in that, in that environment. Mm. And for Meghan, she's learned along the way. It's why we still hear Harry and Meghan uh, enjoying that very close and warm relationship with the Queen and Prince Philip. You know, it was only last week we were talking about oh. uh, Harry's remarks about his grandparents on the James Corden interview that he did. And so, you know, this is a couple that understands the difference between the two. So I was very curious to hear Meghan use the term the firm because, of course, that's what Prince Philip calls the family. Yeah. So, you know, listen, we can only wait until the night. Um, I, I'm still very much of the belief that we'll hear the couple talking about the institution rather than individual members of the royal family. Mm. And, you know, I, I would like to think that that still is the case. And, you know, I think it's interesting to note as well this whole clash of family versus the institution and the monarchy and the pressures of being head of state and, you know, not to bring it all back to my to the crown, but <laughs> as something that everyone has watched so recently, I think, you know, we watched a lot of those themes being played out. And, um, you know, Meghan and Harry aren't the first people to deal with this, these kinds of problems. They probably won't be the last. Unfortunately, it's kind of sometimes comes, you know, um, with the legacy of this institution. And, you know, we've seen Philip deal with it. We saw Princess Diana deal with it. We've seen, you know, the siblings deal with it and the stress of who's going to be the future king. You know, this is something that it's not necessarily unusual to, for them to be feeling. And so in the middle of all of this, I do think it's important to remember that, you know, um, they're not the only ones that have had problems um, in this institution. So that takes us up to where we are now. We had another look at the Oprah with Meghan and Harry special that airs on March 7th, 8, 9 central. Uh, this was really answering a question I think that many people had along the way, which is, why now? You know, this yeah. is uh, an opportunity that I'm sure the couple have wanted to do for a long time. 
um, but why this very moment? And I and I think that Megan's answer really told us much more than just why she's speaking now. Mm-hmm. What is right about this time? Um, well, so many things. Um, that we're on the other side of a lot of a lot of life experience mm-hmm. that's happened and also that we have the ability to make our own choices. What was so interesting about this was that Oprah also uh, admits that she had already called Megan and asked her for an interview <laughs> that she says in February or March 2018 before the wedding. And Megan, of course, at the time said, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not the right time. Um, but you know, Megan, in her own words, she says she wasn't even allowed to have that conversation with Oprah at the time and goes on to say that had to be people from the camp sitting there. And it sounds, it sort of gives you a a look into that sort of very controlled environment that Harry and Meghan were for quite some time so keen to break away from. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about this is, to be fair, a lot of companies, you know, may or may not let you speak publicly about what's happening, right? I mean, I know even um, working for a company like ABC, Disney, if I wanted to do an interview, I'd have to get permission. And they, there are certain things you can and can't talk about. So I think, you know, on, on one hand, that's not unusual. But what must have felt unusual is that she feels like it was suffocating enough to bring up and to mention um, that she felt like she couldn't talk about what she wanted to talk about and that there was family that sort of was involved in this as well, which I think complicates things. So while on one hand, you know, some of this is normal business behavior, it must have risen, uh, elevated at such a level that she felt stifled and like it was no longer possible to live the life she wanted. Yeah. And, you know, look, we're, we're about to, to watch this special for the first time mm-hmm. in just a couple of days as we record this. And I think we're going to get a really good idea of what that life looks like now. Yeah. You know, who can forget that interview that, or the very brief uh, chat that she had during the Southern Africa tour where she spoke about, you know, surviving not being enough. And I think the Harry and Meghan that we see now hopefully thriving in the environment that they're in and they've got the second baby on the way and this entire special is not going to be all about the bad it will also be about Mm. the good I think we'll learn a lot about their Archwell Foundation the non-profit work that Mm. they're doing Um, and I think we'll also discover how many of the themes explored in the interview with Oprah will tie in with the work that they're doing we know that they want to create more positive and safer online communities. They want to fight against uh, hate speech and bullying online. You know, these are things that they've experienced themselves. So to be able to talk about it and actually show why it is that these subjects or these matters are so important to them, it gives it some depth. And I think that people will be quite impressed by that. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. This isn't going to be all just about the drama. It'll be actually about some concrete initiatives as well. So it's a good reminder that, you know, there'll be some positive moments. Well, listen, Maggie, you and I will be diving in deep. Every every moment from the special will be part of our special 
on the episode next week. So do stick around for that. But Maggie, I believe there is one bit of news (laughs) that you would like to share before (laughs) we leave. Oh my, this was exactly what we needed to end the week after all of the drama and exhaustion and back and forth. Um, We got the breaking news that there are, what is it, two new members of the royal family? Yes, the Queen has... (laughs) <laughs> the Queen has taken on two new corgi puppies after her last one died um, to help oh. her through what has been a very difficult year in terms of the pandemic. You know, this is probably the most at home the Queen has yeah. been in her life. And so to have a couple of companions by her side, uh, it's it's really sweet news. You know, there was often talk that, um, you know, the Queen obviously had a large um, a gang of corgis and doggies at one point. And as, as that sort of got smaller and smaller, there was always talk that she felt that she didn't want to take on more pups, uh, knowing, of course, her own age. Um, but I think that to see, like everyone, she's, she's, she's made the move and got herself a lockdown puppy or two. <laughs> or two. Um, this just made my week. And all I'm looking forward to now is that hopefully we get... Lots of photos and details soon. So, you know, there's some positive news out of this week. We have puppies. Yes. <laughs> I, I noticed our um, awesome Royals producer, Zoe McGee, was already asking the palace yeah. <laughs> for pictures and details of we the We want details. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, everyone. We are always on the beat. We have got you covered. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Big thanks to, of course, the ABC Audio team in New York for bringing the show together, especially Anthony Alley for putting up with my many pauses <laughs> as I pull things up on my computer. <laughs> uh, yes, huge thanks to everyone. Omid, oh, I cannot wait for the podcast next week because uh, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, just a few things. This is sort of like the <laughs> crescendo of the yes. last couple of years, so... Until then, my friend. (laughs) Be safe.